Good morning, everybody. Man, it's so great to see you guys. I want to welcome those at the downtown campus, uh, those that are watching online, maybe traveling this weekend, but are catching us uh, anyway uh, online. And so uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope your holiday week and time with family was great. And as it wraps up, we, we move from one holiday season to the next. And I'm just excited for what we're going to get to experience as we move into a season that the church traditionally over the years is called Advent. And it's the the, the weeks leading up to Christmas. And during these weeks, there are strong kind of uh, biblical themes that we begin to lean into, like hope and joy and peace and love, kind of moving us through the Christmas season until we celebrate why those things are so true for us and the fulfillment of those things, the reality of those that we have as Christ comes in the flesh, as Jesus is born to us and we begin to realize God's plan more clearly for salvation and for redemption. And so my hope is that uh, the next few weeks are going to be a real encouragement to you and and these themes that we're going to talk about are, are going to be things that you can not just prepare you to celebrate December 25th uh, better, but are actually going to be helpful for you in the way that you live and the way that you think and tomorrow and um, the, the next day or, you know, into next year. I can remember getting ready for going to my family's, uh, my, my mom's family in, in Tennessee where we would celebrate Christmas Day. I can remember loading up the car. Uh, we'd get there on the 23rd, usually spend the night on the 23rd or the 24th. And then on the 25th, we would open up presents and then we'd make our way back to my dad's family uh, back in Huntsville. And we would have Christmas night, Christmas day evening dinner with them. And the thing that I remember is the way that the car was filled on our return. And we always seemed every year to, to come back home with more than we had brought more than we had left with. And it's, it's that sense of like what we're bringing back, what we're taking, what we're returning home with that has been my hope and prayer for us over the next few weeks that you would come on Sundays and throughout the week and your time uh, in God's word and understanding of, of what God is doing and what's significant that you would leave more than, with more than you had come with. And so I'm praying for that this morning. I'm praying as we step into this particular passage and we look at this theme of hope this morning, I want to turn your attention to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And as I really thinking kind of broadly, how do, we, how do we tackle this idea of hope? And where do we see that kind of popping up in different places in the scripture? It was this particular passage that came to mind that I wanted to look at more deeply and, and wanted to share with you too. And hopefully it'll be a great encouragement to you. Colossians 1, 27. It says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as you look at this verse, I mean, it's, it's, it's really loaded with so much for us. Paul opens this letter to the Colossians, thanking them for the way that they've received the gospel that there is this fruitfulness to their life, that there was this receptiveness as they heard the message of truth, their lives began to change, and he begins to encourage them to walk in a way that honors this change, that they used to be in darkness and now they're in light. They used to be burdened with sin, and now they are a people that have been set free, all, uh, kind of uh, with a, a weightlessness and an ease to their life. And so Paul is encouraging them to continue to live in this way that honors Christ, that honors his work. And then he spends the next few verses talking about the significance of Jesus, this, this importance, this um, um, priority of Jesus, that Jesus really is the one who made the invisible God visible, 
that we have seen God through Christ. And then in verse 27, it says, to them, meaning to the church, to those that God chose to make what was hidden known, he made this mystery available to them. He, he, he revealed the mystery. Well, what is that? What, what is the, the mystery that was revealed? That God had called the nation of Israel to be his people. And years and years prior, he gave them his word, the law, the teaching. He gave them the priesthood. He gave them the sacrifices. He gave them the promised land. He gave them all of these things and he promised them that they would experience and receive a king who would establish one day a glorious kingdom for them and that this Messiah, this king, would fulfill all the promises that God had made to Abraham and David. And then the Old Testament prophets began to write about this Messiah, this Messiah who would reign one day, this king who would suffer as well. And this was the mystery This is what the Old Testament prophets could never fully kind of make sense is how does this Messiah both reign and suffer? How does he do both? That's the mystery. That's this seemingly contradiction that they didn't understand that this king must suffer first before he enters into his glory, before he begins to reign. And this becomes something that we begin to see more clearly in the birth Life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The mystery was made known. All of what God had been working for, working to in the centuries prior to bring and fulfill kind of these promises and, and a king who would suffer and reign, we see it now clearly in Jesus. And here's the hope. Here's what Colossians 1.27 is, that your life could be so connected to this king, to Jesus, that your life would also experience glory, glory. Paul says in a couple chapters later, listen to what he says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there's the connection again. When Christ, it is your life, right? If you're in Christ, with Christ, this hope of glory, and here he says it again, you will appear with him in glory. This is a an amazing idea. Glory is a word that is often, in my mind, associated with God. You know, Isaiah talks about how God doesn't want to share his glory with anybody, that God's glory is for himself. He's selfish for his glory, rightfully so. But here's this idea that, that somehow our life with Jesus, what Jesus is going to do is actually going to share glory. That something is going to happen. And so every time we approach Christmas, right, this time of year, this this idea of hope and a, and a hope for glory should be something that gets stoked inside of us. What do they even mean by this? What's waiting on us? So this morning, I want to consider the idea that in Christ, your life was meant for glory. Let me share you Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. It said, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The scriptures offer us these ideas all the time about man and, and kind of man's place within creation, that, that man was to, to bear a likeness to God, was to reveal things about God, that there was something about God and man in which man could resemble or, or represent God. And when the Bible talks about this likeness, it often talks about this resemblance that we have with God like a mirror, that we would have a glory that was a shared glory or a reflected glory. 
since they put in the scenic overlook over Cecil Ashburn, we, we slow down a lot more as we're going over the cut through from Hampton Cove to Jones Valley or back and forth. And in fact, there are a lot of sunsets where we're at home and I can hear this rumbling when the house like, hey, do we need to get to the overlook? Like, do we need to see this sunset? And so this, this beautiful transition that we experience in Huntsville with these gorgeous sunsets, this transition from day to night creates these beautiful scenes of a sunset and then the moon. Man, when the moon comes up just on the horizon, it's just, it's huge. It's incredible. And, and the light that it gives, it, it captures our attention and we look at it. But when the moon is aligned to the sun, what you begin to see is it, it reflects a light. It's not its own light, but it reflects the light of something greater. It is a, it's a glory or a radiance or an image that is shared, that's given to it. And it spreads this light depending on its orientation. And this is how the Bible offers us in these thoughts about our imaging God or our likeness to him or our glory that we might also share, that our orientation determines what kind of light or what kind of darkness that we express. And this helps us understand Romans chapter 1. Because Romans chapter 1 gives us insight in how mankind lost its glory. Because it lost its orientation to God. It lost its alignment in this shared or reflective glory. Romans chapter 1 verse 22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This was always the underlining concern with crafting idols and images. Because whatever we look at, we reflect. Whatever we look at, we reflect. And we align ourselves to anything else but God, then we obscure God and we actually devalue ourselves. And this is where we move from Romans chapter one to Romans chapter three, verse 23. It says, and for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. That we've all reoriented ourselves away from God. We've all turned to something that was self-interested, self-absorbed. And in that, in that sin, in that turn, we lost the glory of God. We fell short of the glory of God. This radiance, this light, this glory that we could express and represent and resemble, Romans 3.23 highlights that perfectly. But this is what we see with Christmas and the birth of Jesus, that we realize with great clarity that God wants to reorient us back to himself, to share something with us again to align our lives and to position us. And the gospel does this. The gospel is what repositions us. Second Thessalonians 2.14. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing idea. Really, what does this mean? The glory of Jesus. It's a big idea. And I, I mean, just to kind of like, what, what can we really begin to understand is being shared with us? What's really available to us? What, what, is, what is God's, rightfully God's? And then what is he giving us to also experience? What is this hope that we have for glory? Is it, is it to be 
just elevated and seen as amazing? Or is it something else? I love the way Jesus helps us with this idea in John chapter 17. I want to look at a few verses here. And as Jesus is praying for the disciples, he's talking to the Father, he's sharing his own heart in this moment. John chapter 17, verse 22, I think gives us more insight into what's really available to us as we talk about this hope that we have for glory. Verse 22, Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is is praying in this moment and he's praying for his new family of faith that they would be together, that there would be this oneness, this closeness, this this likeness, right? You can hear that language of us and them and together. and, And then we see this, that God sends the son and Jesus says over and over that he was sent in love, that before the foundations of the world, that the son was loved and that this same love is now a love that can be experienced. That the love the Father has for the Son, the Son whom he sent, that Jesus is now sharing this love and that they too may be loved as the Son has been loved. That the love of the Father and the love of the Son may be shared. And this is what I think begins to help us understand. What does it mean? What are we really hoping for when we say that the the mystery is this, that in Christ the hope of glory, what are we asking for? That our glory and likeness is this, our life in Christ, a life of knowing and faithfully expressing love. That you would be loved and could express love. This is what Jesus is helping us. He's moving through this whole passage and he's kind of moving in and out of this glory that you've given me, the way that you love me, the glory that I'm sharing with them, the way that I love them. Or he's moving back and forth in this idea of beautiful glory and love. And we have it in Jesus. We're seeing something in Jesus that we need to see. The, um, in, in the church office, there's always a lot of activity going on. There's, there's always a lot of things being printed. The copy machine is, is being worked pretty much every day. And it's not, un, uh, it's not unusual for something to have like 100 copies of this and 200 copies of that. That's pretty, that's pretty normal. And every now and then, you might have something that you've made a big, you know, batch of and then a week or two later you need 10 more copies of that you need 10 more notebooks and so you instead of like going back and going into the computer and finding the original sometimes you just take what was already printed you take a notebook that was already copied and you stick it on the copier and you print another one but you do that long enough and things begin to happen right there's you didn't realize that someone had made a note on page three in that notebook and now that note is now in the copy that you just printed. Or page 10, there's a shadow on it because the corner of page 10 was folded in the copy machine and now you get this, this kind of weird shadow. And at some point, right, at some point, you need the original to make a clear image so that we can see. 
And when Jesus appears, when Jesus is born to us, John in his gospel writes this in John chapter one, verse four. He says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That Jesus is the picture of the restored man. He's the picture of the restored image of God in humanity. That we, we needed Jesus because we, we needed the original. And what Jesus begins to show us is he begins to show us who we are to be in his glory, in his likeness, and in this love. This love that we could experience from the Father, that we would express back to him. This love and relationship, this faithfulness to the Father, this obedience, this dependency, this empowerment, that when our lives are truly aligned back to the Father, what we experience, what we then reflect, what we then exchange. So when Paul says this, that the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, not only is he saying that our destination is to resemble Jesus, is to, is to experience what Jesus experienced, he's also saying this too, it's also your fulfillment. The hope of glory is not just your destination, but it's your fulfillment as well. That all of your most fulfilling hopes, your aspirations are found within this shared love relationship that you would have with God. It's where compassion com uh, replaces indifference. It's where we now, we, we become people of forgiveness instead of resentment. That we're moving away from things that are cold and, and coldness is replaced with kindness that this shared glory, this shared love that we now experience because of Jesus becomes this fulfillment of the deepest thirsts, the, the things that we, we hunger for most, that our greatest thirsts are met in, the lie, in this life that we have with Christ, this shared communion of being in him, with him, that we are liberated, that we are healed because the love of the Father and the Son is something that we now share in Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory, a Christ-like shared love with God. That's a big promise. When you step back and think about it, like, wow, like that's really being offered to me? That I could know God and I could see what the way that Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father relate and, and I could could have that, I could be in the middle of that, that your life would be so connected to Christ that what's waiting for you is the same things that are waiting for Jesus, that when he comes in glory, that you also are gonna come in glory, that when he's lifted up, you're gonna be lifted up as well, that the way that he's honored and loved, that you're going to be part of that, right? A thinking person would be pretty cautious about that. That seems like a lot. So Colossians 1 is either the worst hope in the world or it's the best, it's either the worst or the best. It's either the biggest setup or it's exactly what our hearts long for and what we were meant for, what's really available. And this is what the New Testament writers are, call, are asking you to think harder. Right? If you're a cautious person and you need to stop and think about it, they're like, do that. Think harder about this. Let, me, let them convince you. Let them offer you their confidence and what also they know about the direction of our lives and what God has accomplished for us through Jesus, that your hope will be sure and certain. This is what they, they come back over and over again and they don't leave you with this wishful kind of 
desire that, well, I hope this happens. But they're like, no, this hope is sure. This is where your life is going. This is the glory that's waiting on you. This is the love relationship that you can have with God that Jesus has established. And this is what Advent begins to help us with. Advent is a return of hope to our souls that there are still things that deliver what they promise. And this is one of them. Listen to what 1 Peter says, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So here's what Peter's saying. Understand his confidence in this hope that he has. Jesus is born and comes to us in the flesh. And then he is marred. He is disfigured beyond likeness. And he bears our shame to the point that Jesus was unrecognizable when he died. And he dies on the cross. And in the resurrection, Jesus is perfected in that place. Jesus is restored. He is the first man restored. He is the glory of man in that moment recovered. And it's through the resurrection that the gospel writers are saying it's a signal to all of us that what's happened through Jesus and where he's gone is also a place that you also can go to be restored, to be healed. That where Jesus has gone, that you would follow in the same recovery. We watched a lot of football yesterday. There's, um, I don't see it happen all the time anymore, but uh, their, their position on the football team, you know this, uh, there's a fullback position. And, and I get a, for some reason, I get a little excited when I see a fullback come in the game now. I just, you don't see that very often, but here's the role of the fullback, right? There's, there's a couple running backs. There's a fullback and there's often a tailback behind him. And the role of the fullback is this. When the quarterback receives the ball, the fullback is to run into the line and to take as many tacklers as he can, almost like a bowling ball, into the defense and provide a way for the tailback, for the other running back to carry the ball. This is what Jesus has done in his resurrection. That Jesus has provided a way that he has, he's taken all the would-be tacklers with him and now there is this way for you to follow as well. Jesus' resurrection guarantees ours. That's what Peter is saying. It's so much so that he calls this hope a living hope. That you and I have been born into a living hope. This isn't a wishful idea that, man, I just hope this happens and I hope this all works out. He's saying, no, Jesus has done something so powerful. He's actually alive and has established that the way forward through death to glory, to love is available to you. And he's still alive to make sure that it happens. He's still in place advocating for you. He's still there. The cross and the resurrection are this grand recovery of all that was lost. And what was lost? You were. Your orientation to God, your alignment, your, your heart was lost. And this is what you begin to see. You were lost in Adam's sin and your own. And all of us had fallen short of the glory of God. And this great work of Jesus came. He came to reset and to realign so that your life and my life might move in this new direction that our life truly might know and experience the love and the glory of God. That your life would be set. I shared this a couple years ago, but it came to mind of, of just 
what happens when you're, the direction of your life is set. We were leaving late one night. It was kind of a, it was a long weekend a couple of years ago, and we were headed to the beach. I think it was May. So we were, we were using one of the long weekends that we had had, and we were getting a late start, to be honest. It was probably 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and I was like, I just want to go that way. I just want to head to the beach. We'll stop Birmingham, Montgomery. We'll just go as far as we can get, but we're, we're leaving. We jump in the car. We're headed down the road. All of a sudden, there's this noise that I can start hearing. It's not a normal noise, some kind of grinding, rubbing. I can't quite tell. Is it the transmission? Is something going on? Like I'm, I'm accelerating. I'm decelerating. I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm going down. 65, and I'm like, oh, there's something wrong with the car. I slow down, and the noise goes away. I go a little faster, and the noise comes back. I'm like, I don't understand this at all. I don't know what's going on. We pull off into Coleman. It's late. I find one gas station with still the lights on. I pull in. I, I, I'm kind of looking. I get under the car. I can see something hanging down under the car. It's this, this skid plate, this brush guard under the car. And I realize what's happened. We had the oil changed earlier in the day. And they forgot to reattach and re-secure that brush guard. And as I'm going down the interstate, this flimsy metal guard has been rubbing the interstate. No telling how many sparks have been flying, people passing us thinking that we're you know, about to blow up. I, I'm, I'm now, and, now, and I can see something dripping out from underneath the car. So here's this kind of brush guard on the ground. There's some kind of liquid coming out. I'm on the ground. I don't know what's going on. I, I, mechanics are in business because of me. Like, I, I pay these men. Like, I, that's, that's what they do. I'm happy to help them do what they do. And so I'm like under there. I'm like, I think I can wedge this thing. It's kind of flimsy metal. I think I can wedge this thing back up. Jennifer's looking at me. Do we just need to go home? I don't know. I don't want to go home. Like, I want to go to the beach. I want to go to the beach. So I, I wedge this thing back up. I'm like, there's still liquid coming out from underneath the car. I don't know what it is. I'm, I touch it. I'm like in the dark. I'm rubbing it. Like, how viscous is this? Like, is this okay? Is this, there's a point where I'm like, I'm like, do I taste it? Like I, know, like, I know what water tastes like, but I don't know what antifreeze or oil really tastes like. Like, is that going to be bad for me? Like, am I going to die right here in Coleman if I like start like tasting what this is? I'm like, fine. I think it's water. We're going to the beach. She goes, are we, are we really going to get in the car at like 10 o'clock with a car that we're not sure is working right and we're going to the beach? She's like, yes. We're going to the beach. I just kind of like pointed south. I'm like, that's where we're headed. We got back in the car and we started going. There's amazing things that happen when you set the direction of your life. When it's determined, we're going this way. Changes the places where you stop. It adjusts the things that you do. Like when you know this is where I'm headed. This is the destination of my life. It begins to reorient you. It begins to change the things. Your de destination begins to determine how you live, where your life is headed, where it ends up. It reshapes how you think about where you stop, what you decide to do along the way. And in Christ, our destination is glory. Our destination is more of him. Our destination is an overwhelming experience of love. The father shares with the son and the son shares with the father. And that is so certain that you've been put in a vehicle in Christ that will not fail you. This is what Paul is kind of blowing up about. He's like Colossians 1. This is the mystery been revealed to you. In Christ, the hope of glory. And he's certain about it. Because he knows what Jesus has already been through. He's already been through the cross. He's already been through the resurrection. He's already ascended into heaven. And now he's provided a way for you as well to follow him. 
and to have the direction of your life, the destination of your life set, no matter the difficulties, no matter the challenges. Hear this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now listen to what he's saying here. If God chose to redeem all things through suffering, like this is God's pattern. This is what he did with the son. And if he did this with the one who not only created the universe, but holds the universe together, Jesus, if that one, if that person, Jesus, who is the creator of all things, suffered, to make a way for others to experience glory, then what it means is all of your suffering also leads you to glory. There's not anything that you suffer, there's not any circumstance that you go through now that detours you from the route of sharing the glory of Jesus. Imagine if you believe that about the next difficulty, the next hardship, the next circumstance that you experienced, that that actually was not moving backwards. But your very next trial actually was a step further towards glory because it's the same pattern that God used with Jesus, that he uses with all his kids. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's the same for all of his children, that God is completely committed to his glory and to this project of restoration in you that if the cross led to the resurrection for Jesus, that no matter what you go through, hardship or circumstance, it will not change your destination. It just takes you closer to it. Now, does that begin to change our thoughts? Does that begin to give us a sense of hope? Listen to find the last passage, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Do you hear the confidence? Do you hear the certainty of of where this hope begins to come from? It's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 that that he actually rejoices. Actually, suffering and trials actually stoke our hope. Because every time we experience something difficult, we're reminded of the difficulties that Jesus went through to establish a certain future for himself and for us. So every difficulty, Paul begins to say, takes us down the road. From the beginning to the end, God was moved by love and pursuing and restoring you through Jesus. So much so that he was born. That he took on flesh that he lived an impoverished life. The scriptures say he really had no place to lay his head. He took the jeers and the false accusations of evil men and he determined that his life would end in a crucified death. His life for yours so that nothing, nothing would ever obscure your understanding of his love for us. 
and what he was here to do and the future that is ours and his purpose to restore us. And this restoration, it starts with our hearts. It starts with us right where we are to this good and certain future that we can have because the, and the, how the gospel doesn't it, doesn't, it doesn't expose us to shame. It doesn't expose us to buyer's regret. It, there's not a moment where you're in this and you realize, oh, like, Jesus, like, this didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. It actually turns out better. The hope of glory, Paul says. The hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal love. And this is what, this is what Christmas is meant to renew in us. You know this. It's more than the tree and presents and some days off work. It's more than that. It's believing that this kind of glory and love is available to us in the future and actually available to us now. It means this, that you can leave here with more than you came. Hope of glory. Christ with you, in you. What would that do to your next decision? How would that reshape your next circumstance? This is what's available to us as we celebrate and give our hearts, I hope, begin to just grow a little larger with what we're experiencing, what we see in God's word. I want to invite the worship teams up and I want to just walk us in a moment of prayer. So would you pray with me? I just want you to consider these final thoughts and then I want to give you a chance just to worship And I pray, have your hearts filled with new hope. Hope means that we don't have to panic. We never have to panic. But we believe that God will do what he says he will do. Hope is saying that the place where I long to be is not fully in view yet, but I can live watchful guarding my joy, expectant, and believing that God operates perfectly in time. Hope reminds us that God is always at work in the places where we're broken. That God is always giving grace. God is always giving power. God is always expressing his love to help us move towards more of him. And hope says this, that my life moves from this moment of knowing God's love for me to ever increasing revelations of his love. Thank you, Jesus, for your words this morning. Thank you for what this Christmas season offers us. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may be in us and may we may abound in hope. We pray this in Christ's name.